This is the Ag Queen Podcast. This podcast explores the agriculture industry with the movers and shakers of those shaping it. Here's your host, Lori Boyer. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the show here today. I am glad to have Gary Adams on as my guest. He is a president of the U.S. Cotton Protocol. Not only have I not interviewed Gary before, but I'm unfamiliar with the U.S. Cotton Protocol. So I'm excited to learn more. I don't remember exactly at this point where I, I saw this information, but it came across an email or one of my ag news wires. And I thought this would be a great interview to learn more about the cotton industry in general, but really about this protocol, because there's a lot of talk on how to make agriculture sustainable and meeting consumer needs and having a higher level of products and goods come out that is consistent is a real big deal. And so I thought this would be a great way to showcase what you're doing in a cotton industry. So, Gary, thank you so much for joining me, first off, for our interview. Well, thank you, Lori. It's a pleasure to be with you today and to talk about uh, the trust protocol. We'll come back to talking about the protocol in just a moment, but I want to learn a little bit more about you, if I may. Can you just give us a little information on yourself and your background? Oh, certainly. Be glad to. Uh, actually, uh, grew up on a farm in uh, Alabama, uh, went to uh, the University of Alabama, uh, degrees in math and econ, and then made my way to uh, Missouri uh, for uh, my doctorate in agricultural economics at the University of Missouri, uh, before eventually landing in the cotton industry at the National Cotton Council in Memphis, Tennessee, and really through my work uh, at the National Cotton Council, we uh, helped launch the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. Uh, so that's a, a quick snapshot of what's got me here working for cotton and working on cotton sustainability. A little bit more on the cotton industry. So we often think cotton, we think south, southern states, but what is the number one cotton producing state? So number one cotton producing state is Texas. Uh, they account for somewhere around 50 to 55 percent of our acreage in the United States. Now, when we talk about the cotton belt, that's 17 states that stretch from Virginia to California. Uh, uh, Georgia is the second largest state. They account for 10 to 12 percent of the acres. Uh, so that's really where we look at the footprint of U.S. cotton production is all across the southern tier. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Now, let's talk about the protocol. Tell us what the U.S. cotton protocol is. Well, we are a sustainability initiative that's uh, now, I guess, maybe in its third year of enrolling producers into the program. It's a sustainability initiative that the National Cotton Council's had a big hand in D developing, but we're also working with other cotton industry organizations such as Cotton Incorporated. And, and you mentioned at the outset about trying to meet the needs of, of consumers and being able to demonstrate the sustainability of U.S. agriculture. And that's really one of the goals of the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol is really one to drive continuous improvement among our producers, but also be able to provide that assurance to the textile supply chain, those brands and retailers who want to know more about how uh, the raw materials are produced, we want to be able to provide that data to uh, those brands and retailers so that as they look at making sourcing decisions, they know they can rely on U.S. cotton. And when we're talking about what they are looking for, what are companies wanting from cotton producers? Well, I think one of the things that, you know, it does vary from company to company. So let me say that. But a lot of times they're looking to see uh what the environmental footprint is. So look at some key metrics. They want to know more about uh, what producers are doing with technology and how it affects their energy consumption, how it affects their greenhouse gas emissions, uh, water efficiency if they're an irrigated producer. 
uh, what they're doing in terms of soil conservation. Uh, so you could really kind of go along uh, a range of, of environmental metrics that they're looking for. And I think the other aspect they're looking for as they look at their supply chain is more transparency all along the supply chain. We're specifically focused on what's happening with cotton producers. But again, a lot of it is greater visibility into data, a greater understanding of how cotton's produced in the United States. How is that data measured? Can you give us a couple of examples of that? I can, yes. Happy to do that. And and really, we've, we've got some historical data out of USDA that has shown what we've done in an aggregate manner from the last 30 to 35 years of a shrinking environmental footprint. Now, as we look at specifically the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, we wanted to collect more of that data from those participating producers. And we used actually a tool that was developed by a sustainability alliance known as Field to Market. And that's an alliance that's been in existence around 12 years. They have a tool called the Field Print Calculator. And that's essentially an online tool that our participating producers can use. They will enter data for a representative sample of their cotton fields. And, and that data they will ask them what type of tillage method do you use? If it's irrigated, what type of irrigation methods used? How much fertilizer is applied? How many passes are made across the field in terms of uh, chemical applications? So essentially getting a, a, a complete picture of how that farmer is producing cotton on that field in a given year. And those tools then do calculations in the background to provide data for those metrics. So uh, it really relies heavily on that tool that's been developed by Field to Market. We then aggregate that information and be able to provide that to our brand retailer members. I see. Okay. Now the retailers that do purchase, are they willing to pay? Does it cost more? Are they willing to pay more to buy from producers that are involved in a protocol? You know, that's that's a great question. And that's certainly one of the things that producers look for is there is there any premium in the market? You know, we're going to let the market sort uh, themselves out, sort that out. Uh, I do think, though, brands and retailers do realize a lot of value in being able to tell that sustainability story to the consumers. And in fact, we've done some some survey work over the last couple of years that would suggest that uh, more and more consumers are willing to pay more if they know that their goods are produced in a sustainable manner. So I do think those consumer attitudes are changing. And I think they also realize that uh to, a, to get the assurance they need, there may be some additional costs, or at least they're willing to, uh, uh, to pay it more. We're trying, obviously, to put a system in place that is streamlined as possible and not add any more than is necessary in terms of additional costs, because it's, it's, there's always going to be a cost consciousness to the environment, particularly uh, when you look at uh, the inflation that we're seeing now. How long has the protocol been around? Well, we really started from a development standpoint in 2018. We enrolled growers in 2019 on a limited basis as a pilot. And then we enrolled 300 producers in 2020. We doubled that in 2021 to a little over 600 producers. Uh, so you could say that 2022 is really starting our, our third season of enrolling a significant number of cotton producers. And you moved right into the next line of questioning I was going to ask you about, and that is membership. Do you have both individual type producers and in large companies, or what does your membership makeup look like? When we talk about um, our membership at the cotton producer level, those are all family farms. Uh, and as I mentioned, the, the number we had for 2021 was between 600 and 650 producers. 
Uh, and we hope to, you know, I'd like to see us as we go into 2022, maybe take that to, to 900 to 1,000. Now, we also have membership throughout the textile supply chain. Uh, so one of the aspects of the program is that obviously we have the production that occurs uh, at the producer level, but then we also want to provide those brands and retailers with an opportunity to, to track that movement of fiber through the system as it moves to the yarn spinner. Uh, then it goes to the company that does the fabric, goes to the cut and sew and finish and finally the finishing garment. So as we look at those manufacturers, that membership is around 750 uh, on a global basis. And then uh, importantly as well is those brands and retailers, those that are actually sourcing the finished good, got roughly 40 or so brands that are members and, and some notable names that you'd recognize, such as Gap, Levi's, uh, companies such as that. So we've been encouraged in really what's still a fairly young program to already get the traction we're seeing in the uh, textile supply chain. Gary, on the producer side of your membership, what kinds of things do they have to prove that they're doing to be able to be accepted as a member? Yeah, so there is a, a, a couple of uh of requirements. And one is they, they complete a questionnaire on their farm management practices. And that that's approximately 120 questions. It covers nine different categories on categories such as, uh, as water uh, usage, uh, soil health, um, uh, chemical usage, uh, categories such as uh, farm management, labor. That's another category that we ask about. Uh, some of those practices are required. Some of them are recommended. So obviously they have to be in compliance with those required practices. So one is complete the questionnaire. Then the, uh, then the second requirement, and that's one we talked about, is uh, doing the field print analysis on fields that constitute at least 10% of their acreage or their cotton acreage for the year. Uh, so those are the two big requirements. And really, as long as they're meeting those minimum requirements, we want them in the program. And we want to get as many producers in the program as we can because we feel like the information we're able to provide them and the feedback hopefully can give them opportunities to focus on continuous improvement. And that's a core part of the trust protocol is to meet the producer where they are, work with them, and hopefully identify some areas that they can continue to improve and shrink that environmental footprint. And just learning a little bit more about the cotton industry as we speak here today. So this question do your members have both organic and non-organic cotton? Is organic cotton a thing? Or, organic cotton is a thing. Uh, we do have within within membership of uh, of both the national, uh, the U.S. cotton industry and the Trust Protocol. We do have uh, a small amount of organic production in the United States. Uh, I would say, though, it's probably less than one percent of overall production. So it can work in certain climates in certain environments. Uh, and, and so there is organic production. Most of the uh, production, though, in the United States and globally is going to be what we refer to more as, as conventional, conventional. Uh, cotton. But we can we can work with both, uh, you know, regardless of the production system, work with both. And again, in either case, identify ways that producers can be more efficient with their resources and, and hopefully shrink that environmental footprint. Today we are talking, this is a very timely conversation because you just received word that the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol has been approved as a standard for sustainable cotton, and hopefully I say this right, Siegelerheit, an initiative of the German federal government. So can we elaborate on that? First off, did I say that right? 
Close enough. <laughs> and really, and, you, and you're right, there is a, we, we kind of refer to it as a German textile alliance. But, uh, you know, one of the one of the aspects of the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol or an initiative for the protocol is to look at these sustainability organizations that are out there on a global basis and be able to present to them aspects of the program, the structure we have and, and receive approval. So we're very encouraged about uh, some of the success that we've had so far. Uh, you mentioned one recognition in Germany. Uh, we've also worked uh, closely with a with a group called the Textile Exchange and been added to their preferred materials and fibers listing. Uh, so again, we're we're looking for those recogn that recognition because we also know that a lot of brands and retailers look at these other types of organizations to see which sustainability initiatives initiatives they're approving. So I think it's important to the success of the program that we can uh, re receive this type of recognition. Do other countries have sustainability programs similar to this, or is this unique? You know, there are other sustainability initiatives uh, out, out there. Uh, one that's been around for a number of years is an initiative called the Better Cotton Initiative. Uh, and they are located in multiple countries, uh, work a lot in the developing world as well. So there are other sustainability initiatives out there that's doing a lot of good work. What I think is unique about the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol uh, and really central to our focus is we are focused on U.S. cotton produce, uh, production. So we want to be structured in a way that fits the production systems in the United States. I think another unique aspect about the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol is that with the technology that our producers incorporate on their farming operation and with the ability to collect data, we can provide then, I think, a, a greater depth of data to those brands and retailers that's not always easy to do in other countries. So I believe we have an advantage from that standpoint to collect that information, aggregate it, and provide it to those brands and retailers. And I, I do believe that's a unique aspect uh, of the program. The other is that we're also trying to bring additional transparency to that supply chain in terms of tracking the, uh, the fiber through the system. What kinds of challenges do you face in getting the message out and doing the marketing for your members? Oh, well, that's a that's a great question. And, and certainly there are uh, there are challenges. I, I would when we talk about uh, some of the challenges with cotton producers and going in and talking to producers, you know, we have to demonstrate to them why this program is important uh, for the overall health of the industry and why it will be an advantage to the industry as we look to try to secure the demand for cotton going forward. And, and right now we're in a market climate where cotton prices are at high levels, as are many commodity prices. Uh, so certainly we have to convince them this is an important uh, program for preserving uh, the demand for cotton and also reassure them that the data and the information they provide to us is going to be treated in a very confidential manner will only be presented in an aggregate uh, format. We're not going to release the data for an individual producer. So I think that's one of the, uh, you know, obviously one of the, the challenges we face, and those are challenges we continue to, to work to, over, uh, to address. I think when we look at the textile supply chain and the brands and retailers, uh, some of the challenges as a, as a relatively new program is just the, the introduction and making mm -hmm. sure that they're comfortable with the rigor we have in the program. Uh, the fact that we do have, for example, third-party verification of our on a random sampling of our participating producers. So they want to know more about the structure of the program and, and that if they're considering joining, that this is a program that does have uh, that rigor to it 
so those are, again, a lot of that is just the education. And, and frankly, that's where some of the recognition from uh, groups such as ISIL and the German Textile Alliance and the Textile Exchange comes in as well, uh, so that we do have other bodies that can, can vouch for, what, for the work we're doing. A little bit more of a general question, if I may, since I have the cotton expert on the show here today. What kinds of struggles are there out there right now, just in general, for cotton producers with supply chains and consumer purchasing and just so many things in our world right now? Yeah, great, great question, Lori. And I and I would say first, you, you hit on a couple of them. Uh, there have been supply chain issues that have uh, affected the industry in a couple of ways. And let's we'll just talk about what producers are seeing right now. I mentioned the high prices that there are for commodities, but those high prices also extend to the inputs that they're using. The fertilizers and the fuels are up dramatically from where they were a year ago, in some cases, uh, double what they were paying a year ago. Uh, so one of the challenges going into this year is, is the fact that they're going to see a uh, higher production costs. This will probably be the most expensive crop that they've ever had to produce. Uh, and that that's, uh, not just uh, limited to cotton, but you could probably put that across uh, most of agriculture today. Uh, so that that's clearly a challenge. Uh, I would say, too, as we focus on cotton production, I have to realize that I mentioned Texas being a state that has more than half the acres. Texas is in a severe drought right now, as is much of the western United States facing, uh, facing heat and, uh, and drought conditions. That's going to be a challenge for some producers as to whether they will have a, a crop uh, supply chain logistics has uh, created its challenges for the industry, particularly moving our our product to market. And whether that be shortage of truck drivers, shortage of containers, uh, getting space on a ocean carrier to get uh, the cotton shipped out. All of those are issues that are facing uh, uh, the, the industry. And then and final point I will say on the demand side is that we have seen demand bounce back in a strong way from the dip that we saw during the, the COVID, uh, the worst of the COVID pandemic. So it has come back rather strong. I do worry as we look going into the rest of this year, uncertainty on uh, a consumer sentiment, uh, possibility that, uh, you know, of, of lapsing into a recession, uh, the fact that we're seeing higher uh, fuel cost, uh, um, you know, all of that's going to be competing for the consumer's dollar. Uh, so that's, I think, a concern. Uh, the the strength that we've seen in consumer spending on uh, textiles and apparel does that continue as we go further into the year? That that's a question mark and a concern to watch going forward. Very good information. Thank you, Gary. What else have I not asked you about that would be good to know about the U.S. cotton protocol or the cotton industry in general? Well, I I guess I think the you know the final point I would say or another point on the U.S. cotton trust protocol is is we do believe this is critical as we look at the demand in the for cotton going forward. We've seen a number of the major brands and retailers, in fact, most of them that have set their own sustainable sourcing targets for some future year. In many cases, they look at the year 2025 and they want to be, you know, uh, 100% responsibly sourced or sustainably sourced in their raw materials by the year 2025. And the Different companies have different definitions or different lists of what they consider sustainable sources. Uh, we want to make sure the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol is on that list. And, and I think that's why it's critical that we grow the program at the producer level, because we, we feel like that's going to be a necessary uh, message that we can convey to the brands and retailers to make sure that uh, we can meet their demand. Uh, so that's, I think, the, the final point I would say there is we just believe it's absolutely critical to, uh, to the future of, 
of the industry and meeting what both the brands and retailers and the consumers are going to be expecting going forward. It makes me think that you as president really have to be looking forward and having conversations because as the as the consumer desire, as the businesses you talked about change what they want, I'm sure there's a lag time for your producers to try to change to meet their needs. So there's got to be a constant not only flexibility, but also kind of knowing where the industry is headed so your producers can continue to prepare along with them. Well, you're right. It is a big challenge, particularly in what has been such a a, a volatile and uh, ever-changing climate over these last two or three years that COVID threw kind of one set of curveballs at the industry. And now the bounce back in demand has has created a whole new set of challenges. And then you do try to anticipate where where brands and retailers going and where's consumer sentiment going? Because it's with the production of cotton and agricultural commodities, that's a biological process that takes time. You can't flip a switch and, sure. and make things happen overnight. So it is always a challenge to, to anticipate where those trends and, and directions are going. Gary, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a great conversation. I have learned a lot in the 20 some minutes that we've been talking today. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, again, look forward to staying in touch. We can ever uh, keep you updated on the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. Gary Adams, president of the U.S. Cotton Protocol, my guest on today's show. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Ag Queen podcast with your host, Lori Boyer.